0: All right, so. We're not really going to have much of a format here. We just watched a lot of basketball over the weekend, and we're going to talk to you about it. And we probably won't focus on any of the teams that we've done full out gamers on on Tuesday and Wednesday, but every other team is fair game. Danny, where should we start first here?
1: Let's start with the game that most recently finished, and that was Lakers Grizzlies. Um, we we did talk about the Lakers game one loss, but worth talking about them now, partially because this was a, so it felt like an important game for the Lakers. They beat Memphis 121-118, and I I mean, because they, they lost those first two games, albeit against capable opponents. What what were you looking for for them, and did you see what you were looking
0: for? Well, obviously, the, the start is what we got from Russell Westbrook, too, who played 37 minutes of this one. At his best half as a Laker in the first half with nine points and 10 assists. He had really struggled in the first two games. They got completely housed by Phoenix a couple of days ago. I think that was Friday night, so this is their third game. Third straight game at home to start the year. The Lakers always have a home-heavy schedule at the start of the year. And they squeaked this out against Memphis. And worth noting, I would say, that starters versus starters, Memphis killed them. And it was just when John Morant was off the floor that Memphis really struggled. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, We did see at the end of the game, Russell Westbrook being used as a screener in one of two ways. One is this trend that's sweeping the nation now. We saw the Clippers do it against the Warriors on Thursday. of a downhill attacking type of guard being guarded by the opposition's worst defender. In this case, it was Morant guarding Westbrook, setting the screen for your big wing, of course, LeBron, and then slipping to the basket and getting that four on three, attacking the basket with a guy who has dribbling skills, is athletic enough to finish, but also can set up shooters or, or set someone up on the drive. So they got a really nice play out of that. Westbrook set up an Anthony Davis dunk. Then they also had the screen action out of the corner that they love to run going back to LeBron's days in Cleveland they would run this for Kevin Love now they run it for Anthony Davis with LeBron at the elbow with Westbrook screening for him that initial action is not that effective because Westbrook doesn't need to be guarded if his man just helps out on Davis cutting towards the rim but then they float out of that into a LeBron Davis pick and roll um so you know they're trying to find some ways to involve Westbrook I mentioned uh, again in crunch time against Golden State he was basically never t- touch the ball. So, looked a little bit better there, but in the overall numbers for Westbrook were still pretty atrocious. Yeah, I mean, 13 points on
1: 15 shots, you want to call it 17 shooting possessions cuz he split four free throws a couple other things I thought were nine
0: nine do. turnovers too nine we, turnovers we have to get yeah. in there and he, and he yeah. only had 13 uh, he had third I shouldn't say only 13 assists, but only three assists in, in the second half. second half did have four steals and also one really ugly air ball trying to work in isolation against Steven Adams his former OKC teammate so uh you know I mean I think they're gonna figure out the best way to use him LeBron is, is gonna figure that out but he's gonna have to actually you know play well and like have his shots go in the basket um but what what were you going to move on to?
1: So I thought there were two other important Lakers points before we move on one is um, a, an effective big game from Carmelo Anthony who also passed Moses Malone on the scoring list in this one 28 points in 28 minutes 10 of 15 from the field including 6 of eight from 3 and yes he has defensive limitations but especially there was a play that you tweeted out where LeBron they, the Grizzlies did a pretty basic kind of like shading protection over to LeBron and LeBron found Melo on the weak side no, no, no qualms, no challenges at all there and Melo can be a nice fit in those lineups. Ups is kind of like you know if he's set up it looks even better for him so remember the stat that you that we talked about a lot last year where he shot the second most contested twos in the league when Melo can to get better shots he looks even better
0: yeah the six of eight from three but uh, that left him four of seven on twos most of which were mid-rangers I still don't you know he was hot so they went to that and he was also uh tied for a game best plus 19 as as they worked the Grizz reserves uh and, and yeah so he's now ninth place in NBA all-time scoring by the way, in case you were wondering. And then the other thing I want to
1: mention briefly, just to put a pin in it, LeBron James three point shooting in the first three games of the regular season, five of 11 on opening night, five of nine, and then four of nine on Sunday. And the attempt volume there is significant and making more than 40% all three games is and I mean, the jump shot's been the most reliable thing for him other than his amazing path.
0: Well, how many shots at the rim did he shoot tonight? Because that was something that I had noticed that he was only, only took two on Tuesday against the Warriors. He took two during the competitive portion of the game against Phoenix the other night. How many did he have tonight?
1: He was credited with seven shots in the restricted area.
0: Yeah. So that that looks a lot better, uh, obviously. And you know, he was three yeah, of seven. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got some pretty good contests out. You never know with LeBron, whether it's He can't get there, whether he's just kind of taking it easy. I mean, generally, when the jump shot is working for him, he'll just kind of default to that uh, instead. But yeah, he was only 3 out of 10 on twos, and has not shot many at the line, only 1 out of 2 from the foul line tonight, uh, had 19 points and 4 turnovers. But they they had Carmelo going, and the Lakers were 16 out of 30 from 3, and they do at least... Unlike in past years, they have guys who are going to be able to get hot uh, on this team. Uh, one other Lakers note, Austin Reeves has been in the rotation, kind of earned his way in there as they made an abortive comeback against Phoenix on Friday. And then that continued with 18 minutes. He was also plus 18. Uh, he's their undrafted rookie uh, who actually made the main team. He's not a, on a two-way. Um, and it, he's impressed, at least for during this time with all these guys out that they've had. But it, it, ha- it is difficult for the Lakers. They don't really have any options other than Bay Bazemore as a two-way guy in the wing, and Bazemore is just, he's got to guard whoever the best guy on the other team is on the perimeter. Avery Bradley had gotten some time. He only played two minutes in this one. They tried to slow down Morant, and it's... Well past time that we talked about the Grizzlies and what their start has been. They beat the Clippers last night. Then when I thought really outplayed the Lakers for most of this game, it was just the bench units that killed them. All those musical chairs, point guards who came through in the offseason, but it's still Tyus Jones there. And I think they can get away with that a little bit against some worse teams. And also they can get away with it more if they had, say, DeAnthony Melton on that bench unit now though they're playing Zaire williams who is not i don't think he's really ready frankly uh, their number 10 overall pick uh, off the bench he really struggled negative 22 in, in 18 minutes and i mean he took he, he did hit one corner three but it, they actually even ran a, a play for him, not a bounce play for him to shoot a screen coming off this or, or shoot a three coming off a screen which i thought was uh, ambitious for a, a guy at, at, <laughs> I, at his skill level at this point but yeah
1: that, that was the, that was the word i was going to use too and like one way of putting this the grizzlies outscored the Lakers by nine points in Morant's 38 minutes and the Lakers
0: outscored scored the Grizzlies by
1: 12 points in the 10 minutes Morant sat. And so that's, you know, that's the margin. And just, I thought just from
0: was, a pure, yeah. I mean, just from a pure highlight package today, Brent was unbelievable.
1: Oh, absolutely insane. And I mean, he had that, Kind of up and under play, where I had no idea how he got the ball off before he. It, it was Jordan asked
0: that move. I mean, he got his head up at the rim, coming down the lane. Two guys jump with him, and he went up underneath them, kissed it like high off the backboard with a ton of spin, like well above the square, and dropped it in. And really, that was impressive. Some of his passes off the pick and roll in the third, like he was just unstoppable yeah, on pick and, and, and roll in the third.
1: And John Morant, five of seven from three.
0: Um, that's exciting. Yeah,
1: it's it's very exciting, and as you mentioned, the passing. He did have, you know, he, he tweeted out after the game. Failure failure builds character because he had three free throws. Kent Bazemore absolutely fouled him. Duh, the, the Grizzlies were down three. John Morant's pulling a three, and Bazemore sticks his arm in the cookie jar, and Morant has three free throws to tie the game, and he makes the first two, misses the third. So that's that really is what created the margin. And um, but he was he was phenomenal, and I mean the yeah, chemistry. He, was He deep might be Adams. the
0: MVP, the MVP of the first three games, Danny. Sometimes we should do, we should just like pick a three game stretch in like January and just pretend it's the beginning of the season and just do a podcast <laughs> like it's the beginning of the season
1: yeah that would be that would be pretty <laughs> funny um and his like it's not surprising that Ja has really good chemistry passing the ball with Stephen Adams because yeah. you know he c- occupies a similar space Adams knows what he's no kind of knows what he's supposed to do within the offense Adams also had eight offensive rebounds in this game and yeah so I, Adams I think
0: looks good like offensively yeah. I think like I was worried that he wouldn't give them as much as Valanciunas but but, and, uh, some, yeah, they had 40% offensive ha- rebounds tonight, too. So,
1: something I wanted to ask you how do you think Desmond Bain looked?
0: Uh, you know, he had a rough go of it just because he had to guard LeBron. Um, he's basically playing the three right now, and he's got a 6'4 wingspan, but I think he, he did fine. You, you know, I he didn't do as much when I locked in in the second half. Um, but he had some nice transition finishes as well. And I think it, he's, uh, I don't think they missed Grayson Allen. I'll put it that way.
1: No. And and Bane not as much in this game as in the, as the, the beat, the victory over the caps that I watched Bane showing more with the ball in his hands, which is encouraging. I don't think you necessarily want him as like a primary ball handler, but as somebody who can inc- create something other than a three point shot off a mismatch is, is always a good thing. And they're going to, I think the Grizzlies are going to need more of that as, you know, as they move on, especially if Moran gets so good, the team start trapping, him more aggressively having those other guys who can get the ball kicked to them and then can attack a out. it's
0: always useful yeah so grizz arguably should should have taken this one but had a, a nice start to the season not two and one lakers get their first win i watched man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you hundreds of of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code CAPSPACE. space our cap space we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino indochino indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us. Oklahoma City and Philly earlier it was OKC's best showing of the season first home game that they had their home opener and they got completely destroyed by the Rockets on Friday in Houston after the Rockets had one of the worst games you're going to see at the Wolves in the season opener that we did for the NBA cast Um, I can take the lead on this one since I think I watched a little bit more than than you did start with the OKC side uh, you know, again, this this season is not about winning a ton of basketball games for OKC, but I think they would like to get a few at, at least. And the two takeaways, Josh Giddy had a really nice game with 19 points, seven assists, four steals, and one of two from three took, he, he kind of steps forward when he shoots the three, So he actually took what would have been four threes, but two of them he had a toe on the line. And he he makes all the passes. He finds guys on the weak side. Now, they don't have anyone who can actually make the shots that he's setting up, on the weak side his floater looks extremely smooth he also has very nice touch uh, on layups as well getting to the basket um you know the there are plenty the Sixers aren't really you know a mismatch on the perimeter type of team I do have concerns about Giddy's defense uh his jumper doesn't look particularly nice he, he kinda... it,
1: it, uh, the word the word I would use to describe it as stiff like I don't know like yeah. it just there it was it, it's it's a little bit he's working on it but it's it's yeah. and
0: but but he, he is taking them when he's open which I think right. is, is important you know and I think he's taking even a couple off the dribble um, but you know he's he really has a nice handle for his size like like the idea of playing him at point guard at his size is not at all ridiculous like he really both from a passing and a dribbling standpoint it it looks pretty good and he'll need to find some other ways to score obviously uh, as well but he's mostly doing it in transition but he's gonna have have plenty of chances that's for sure uh, this year and I think that'll be a really good thing for him
1: well and a a real problem for OKC granted they're not trying to win games right now but as Sam Presti is building out this roster you know moving forward their starting five has had major problems shooting the ball in, in, in the in the Sixers loss the starting five was a combined three for eighteen on threes, and it was a similar story. I think I brought this up in the Jazz game. The starting five was a combined three for twenty, and then against OKC, they were four.
0: Or they against were four Houston, for, you mean?
1: Against Houston, they were four for seventeen or something like that. And It's like, I mean, Shea will have better shooting nights than he did in this one. Um, he was one. He Shea was one for six from three. In yep. this one, I think he was like, oh, he was one for seven against Utah. But like when, you know, offenses are an ecosystem and you have to figure all these things out. And especially if Giddy is going to take some time, then it becomes even more paramount to have spacing at the other positions. And I think some of these guys can be better than they've been. But It is what, like, once you start slotting more mandatories into the starting five, if Giddy is good enough to get there, you start to piece these things together.
0: Well, and really the position, you know, Lou Dort, hopefully he'll start to come around a little bit on his three pointer. I'm still not a huge believer in it yet. And Giddy is going to play, but Darius Basley, to me, his poor development on his three-point shot which actually looked kind of good in the bubble uh, is really a concern he was 0 for 4 tonight i don't think any of his misses were close and that's a spot that it's looking like he still has uh, nba athleticism but it's kind of looking like that spot in their long-term future is going to need to be upgraded that they're not going to be really able to think about him as like a future starter like he just hasn't shown enough there yet and And just, he can't play that position and continue to be under 30% from three, particularly with some of the other, I mean, they're they're always going to need a center and Shea's going to be on the ball. Giddy's not going to be a great shooter. Dort's not a great shooter. They're going to get other guys in here, obviously, eventually. But uh, I mean, it was very notable how much better the offense looked with Mike Moscala out there. Mascala had three of four from three and uh, did have four fouls uh, going up against uh, Zoldine, the team that that he got Tyrese Maxey for. And we can, because he hit that three in the bubble that meant that philly got that pick from okc and the jeremy grant trade but uh maxi did not have a good game in this one. oh4 from three not shooting a ton of them he had he did have 14 points but it's four of 13 from the field and only two assists also really struggled to guard Shea Gilders Alexander Shea was uh, showed a lot of explosiveness and was getting into the lane and really killing the Sixers uh, during the third quarter in particular. So uh, OKC okay, so was doing a good job of not guarding Maxi as well. Uh, meanwhile, Seth Curry went off. He had. 23 points in the first quarter finished it with 28 kind of well, happens to him a lot
1: and i believe that's the second most points scored in at least a first quarter this year and the number one is his brother when steph had 25 against the clippers
0: yes yes so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that game later on here joel 33 minutes, 8 of 15. They were basically, anytime he even caught the ball in anything approximating a post up, even like 18 feet from the basket on the left side of the floor, they would send the double team and he was just throwing passes to the weak side. Sixers got up a lot of threes, finished 17 out of 41. Curry was was getting some open ones. Also, Joel had six assists and three blocks. Uh, Basley tried him in the first quarter and he got his dunk attempt rejected as hard as anyone I think has ever rejected a dunk attempt. Like Usually, you know, you Kind of cause the guy's uh reaching back and trying to dunk it hard, like it'll just kind of get stuffed and go down. Like Joel spiked. The dunk attempt, like he would just shot it in the air. Um, so Sixers don't didn't have Shake Milton available. Uh, they don't have their other sensible point guard uh, available either. That's probably we'll probably talk about that on Monday. Um, when when we get to the news.
1: One other stray note on the Sixers, not from this game. I went a little bit. I went a little bit crazy in the game that the Sixers eventually lost to the Brooklyn Nets. I didn't watch the whole thing, but in the beginning part of it, Danny Green had two pull up threes in transition. I'm just like, where the hell is this coming from? And then those were the only two three-pointers who made the entire game
0: yeah yeah but Dan green still a pretty pretty valuable player oh yeah crazy crazily enough uh and then the last two more things about them Andre Drummond was out uh with an ankle sprain I mentioned Milton is out so the backup point guard was Furkan Korkmaz and the Sixers reserves this is how bad OKC's reserves are that their five-man bench unit of Korkmaz Isaiah Joe Theibel George Ying and Paul Reed was well into the positive but then when OKC started pressuring up they put Dort on Korkmaz and Kirkman couldn't even get the ball closer than forty feet from the basket, uh, and uh, Sixers also really struggled in lineups with Niang at center to just keep uh, OKC out of the lane. And similarly, OKC's rim protection is really, really lacking. That they're maybe the worst rim protecting team in the league. Uh, but I think that's all I got on the Sixers and Thunder so far.
1: Let's go to a game we saw in person a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, the reason that we the reason that we didn't do a gamer on I believe that was Thursday was because Clippers Warriors and we won't focus as much on the Warriors because we've talked about them a fair amount with the gamer that we did on Tuesday um Curry did have that crazy 25 point quarter and then the Warriors beat the Kings in another fun game on Sunday night but instead let's talk about the Clippers and you already mentioned it but the revelation of that game beyond the reminder that the spacing versions of the Clippers are so hard to defend was one of the ways they were really hard to defend was using Eric Bledsoe as the screener
0: yeah he Curry was guarding him they involved with Paul George Of course, Ty Lue has dealt with playing against Stephen Curry on both ends of the floor, maybe more than any other coach has. And Bledsoe looked great, slipping out of those screens early, getting downhill. It had a really nice game, even hit a three early on, missed a critical one late. But Bledsoe, I mean, that was the Clippers debut, and I didn't see them their second game against Memphis. But he looked like he might be the latest one of these Clippers rejuvenation projects, going back to Reggie Jackson and Nikola Batum. and. You know, maybe he just mailed it in. Uh, he maybe he uh, didn't want to be there. <laughs> I remember, I remember the incident where he was just like, where he's like, "Oh yeah, I just uh, I wasn't really paying attention in the huddle when we said we were going to foul against <laughs> in that game against the Knicks uh, last year." So uh, he seems to be happy to be back where he started his career. Looks good physically, and so I, I think he can give them something. He's he's still a very undisciplined defender, and that hurt him at times with Steph, But he also gets in the passing lanes and will pressure guys up. Uh, I thought that Terrence Mann came in and really changed the game with his energy and the Clippers overall I know they lost that game but that was a very impressive performance for me particularly to come back down 20 in the first half to really take the lead by halftime and they did it with the the small ball approach with Marcus Morris at center they even did some Paul George at center at times you know I think and we saw Harden's play more against Memphis when Memphis went with with Biggs but they really wanted to win that one against Golden State Batum wasn't there because of a personal absence so they really could have used him in going small but I, you would argue they probably should have won this one they really bottled up stuff until the very end When he got a a couple of crazy buckets in the last two minutes to to win it for the Warriors. Uh, Forced a bunch of turnovers. Played physically. Uh, Their switching was a problem for Golden State throughout the meat of the game. So just seeing them go to that. We wonder how many times they're going to go to that top gear with small units the way they did in the playoffs. But I think they can still be very effective when they do.
1: And speaking of effective, I thought Paul George looked really good in that game. And the game against the Warriors, 29 points, 12 of 23 from the field was hitting his three and just moving well, like, you know, handling the ball. He has more on yeah. his shoulders. He, now, he was getting
0: really nice separation off the dribble.
1: And and then PG had 41 points in the loss to Memphis, 15 of 25 in, in that one. And so he's, you know, I, I think that as as much as it's it's frustrating, you know, to, to lose two games, one of them at home, one of them on the road, they weren't a capable opposition and they, they have a bunch of, they have a couple more games against, you know, they have two games of the next three against Portland, but, I think there's plenty of time for the Clippers to get into a rhythm here. And I think one of the differences with them and let's say like maybe the Pels with Zion is that knowing that Kawhi is out for a long time, I think they can find an equilibrium. They know this is their team for the foreseeable future. And there are some, you know, some absences like Batum that you mentioned and Ibaka. I'm sure they'd love to have him. But... I think this is like when I saw them in person, they looked like a playoff team to me. Not like a top four seed, but a team that will give give bad teams a rough go of it and that can fight and, you know, win some games against capable opposition.
0: Yeah, and I would say, just from the Golden State side of the ledger, they beat Sacramento to go to 3-0 tonight. Andre Iguodala looks really good to me. I think that was a takeaway. He missed tonight with a sore hip. He had a, a weird fall, was able to finish the game, but he's supposed to be back uh, maybe as soon as their game against OKC, although I don't know why they would bother, frankly. And Nemanja Bialito was a revelation against the Lakers, as we talked about. But I actually like him playing better against bigger lineups because – you know he's not a great defender in any event, but he actually has some decent length. Like he'll try some verticality, he can rebound okay. Where it really falls apart for him, he's a small ball center option. But it really falls apart for him when he's playing in space against other small units. He was had to be taken out against the Clippers. They had to go more to the Juan Toscano Anderson look. Uh, and and it was nice to see against the Clippers that Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala closing the game out with, like old times. And good to know that Clay Thompson hopefully. We'll be back with that soon. Also, Jordan Poole bounced back a little bit today against the Kings, but he got completely taken out of the game. Uh, yeah, Poole had 22 points on 8-16 today against the Kings, but looked really bad against the Clippers the, dealing with their physicality on the parade. here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. So I want to jump to
1: um, what was, to me, one of the more surprising results on Saturday. The the Trailblazers just handled the Phoenix Suns final margin 134, 105. And I watched it after the fact, you know, know, watching video the next day. And I didn't see, you know, so I'll kind of focus on the Portland part of this at first. Um, I didn't see too much from the Suns that made me think like, oh, there's something really wrong here. But The Blazers' offense looked fantastic. CJ McCollum had a dominant performance. And it was surprising to me that in a lot of the kind of more base alignments, the Suns were putting booker on cj and they were putting cp on one of the like the three or the four and then they because bridges on dame yeah like that no no problem there and so cj was just lighting whoever they had on him up including when it was a, a one of the defenders that i think of more highly Nurkic gave aiden some trouble at some moments in time and then we also got to see a little bit of larry nance jr at center the reason was funny it's it's a process thing that um i just disagree with chauncey Phillips zeller who played totally fine in Nurkic's stead he got a fourth foul and so Billups pulled him and had Nance at center which I actually you know like I support that I think Nance should play center more often but it doesn't really matter if your bench players get in foul trouble because you're not planning on them finishing the game Brad Stevens I think as a coach is the the coach that I got this the closest to what I consider right and so but at the Blazers and and Dame had he picked his spots I thought that his drive his drive game looked very good against the Suns which is interesting because of because you know eight and stuff and then playing Dennis Smith Jr. he had he had Fifteen minutes, though a fair amount of that was in garbage time. When they played Smith and Simons together, there were a couple of stretches where Billups did that. Simons being on the ball less, I thought helps it helps him get into the right mind frame because I just think he's not that good of a creator for other people. And so, yeah, if he's a scorer; he's all right. And so, I, I thought that the like it was a good example of how the Blazers can win a lot of games just because their offense can be so dominant. But I didn't walk away from it thinking, "Oh, Portland's so much better than Phoenix." Like Portland's a world beater, though they did play very well and then the other important thing to mention Blazers, is that norm Powell, who i thought actually looked great in his first quarter stretch he might have been the best player on the floor for the blazers in the early going he suffered a knee injury and um, Woj tweeted that the blazers are thankful that it's not more severe it is currently being described as left patellar tendinopathy and so i we'll have to keep an eye on that he's already been ruled out for monday probably going to keep him out for a bit but not thankfully as long as they fear
0: a couple of things uh, that i would note from this and, and i only watched a little bit of this one but the Blazers getting out in transition, not something that they are known for. 21 fast break points you know that they're probably stingy uh, on those and 53 point attempts uh, as well and only 18 of those coming from dame and cj but yeah this one featured extended garbage time no starter in this game played more than the 30 minutes uh, of mccollum and for the suns this is a little schedule lossy coming off that big win in la although it cost them that they weren't able to put their foot on the lakers throats and that they got back into it and had to bring all the the starters back in because then on the back-to-back it looks like they didn't have a, a ton of juice and what else can we take away here from the Suns? Campaign didn't play due to a hamstring strain. They went with Alfred Payton instead of for 25 minutes. Well, and um, there were some there were some yeah.
1: points when it seemed like they really missed him because you can play campaign as the only like creator in a way that you cannot do with Alfred Payton. So I thought I think yeah. it was in the first or second quarter. Like Monty just had a stretch where you know he has the normal cadence, and you can't really use Alfred Payton the same way. And coaches don't want to do that. The other thing that I noticed during this game, which was a little bit surprising to me, was how much latitude Monty Williams is giving Aiton and JaVale McGee to take shots like JaVale was just pulling jump shots he ended up six and nine from the field and had a couple of fun ones but Aiton was a couple times he tried to do a little bit too much going against Nurkic and I thought Nurkic defended Aiton pretty well but overall like I thought especially in the first quarter where things were closer to even the Suns were getting good shots and not making quite as many of them as they usually do Crowder was one for four Chris Paul only took five shots from the field but you know a lot of these guys didn't play their full minutes because the it was it was so gross so i think the the suns being one and two right now isn't i don't think of that as any anything severe i'm sure they would have would have loved to have won this game and then they had that loss to the nuggets on opening night or on on their opening night and um so i, I think that i think that they're complete they're completely fine i didn't see anything that really worried me
0: yeah and they've had a tough schedule so far they played yes. uh, three other contenders in the west to start the season where do you want to go next here
1: let's go um let's go to the jazz I, I i'm um so the the jazz have played you know they, they absolutely stomped the they stopped the thunder um and i mean it, it correct me if i'm wrong but it just kind of seems like at this point i mean they've only had two they've only played two games and they they i thought they you know they did a good job against both of them um what do you think of the game against sack
0: yeah so david Locke is was talking about this at the start of the year that one of the big questions for the jazz is going to be what happens when teams go small against them with no center and after Rashawn Holmes fouled out there was a dominant stretch by Rudy Gobert in from about the 7 to the 3 minute mark of the 4th quarter where he was going crazy getting every contested defensive rebound running the floor hard getting a dunk there getting offensive rebounds walling off the rim it was really an extremely impressive stretch as the Jazz built their lead and then he fouled out Rashawn Holmes fighting on the offensive glass Holmes fouled out in only 18 minutes was plus 7 in a game they ended up losing by 9 and so then the way that Luke Walton elected to close the game was going with Harrison Barnes at one of the three guards uh, Davion Mitchell who we'll talk about more in a second Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox I think they might have even gone it it was I can't remember whether it was Heald or Terrence Davis who started at the three with Mo Harkless out but they went really really small I mean either Heald would probably be your power forward in that alignment and so the Jazz struggled to defend that way and they did a pretty good job now worth noting that the Kings are not the Clippers but and the Kings also I thought did a poor job of attacking that's actually something Luke Walton talked about in his presser after the game was that he likes that lineup but he thought guys were kind of were settling for three-pointers and again I I say this often that if you think you have a mismatch you should be able to get something better than a step back three-pointer unless it's at the end of the shot clock but De'Aaron Fox who has not really had a great start to the year to me he was had 12 points on five of 19 in this one uh he wasn't able to get to the rim he missed one layup in there um, I think it was Halliburton went for a step back so they did they did not shoot the ball well at all from three in this game eight out of 36 but they were taking a lot of just one-on-one outside shots not getting to the basket so that was disappointing for the Kings but not disappointing so far has been the defensive play of Davion Mitchell which has been as advertised
1: yeah and Davion Mitchell has had a lot of tough assignments in the early going for the Sacramento Kings and that one you know primary matchup against donovan mitchell and then on sunday stephen curry and then on wednesday damon cj and defensively he has looked i mean off night has looked like the real deal just like he did in summer league
0: yeah and I mean, one of the things that's just you he almost never gets beaten to a spot and the thing that's crazy is a lot of these guys who are pretty quick if they go hard one direction and they get beaten to a spot generally if they go back the other direction either with a spin move or a crossover they'll have the guy beaten because it's such an impossible effort even to cut a guy off once but mitchell somehow like it's not only that his feet are incredibly quick which they are but it's also his anticipation of just knowing that like he he's almost almost seeing it a move ahead. He knows he's going to get to the spot the first time. And so he's already in his mind, kind of planning what he's, what the guy's going to do after he already beats him to the spot. It's really, really impressive. Uh, He also, he's not like, so unbelievable getting over screens you know good screeners can get them pretty much good screeners can get pretty much anyone unless you're switching in today's nba but you have to actually lay the wood on a screen to get him off there because you know a lot of times you'll see now where guys will just run up and then slip out of a screen particularly if it's a small setting the screen and just enough confusion the guy the defense the guy guarding the screener maybe calling it out you see the guy out of your peripheral vision and then the guy's able to just the guy on the ball is able to just attack and turn in the corner like there was a screener there even when there wasn't just because it it kind of distracted the defender enough with the threat of a screen that's not gonna work on davion mitchell like you if you don't make contact you're not getting anything and you know donovan mitchell started to do a little bit better later on but and you know davion's not like superman it is possible to score on him but if you're stuck in the late clock against davion and you're trying to create a step back, like that's not going to work because he is just going to get into you all the time. Like if you're going to beat him, you have to go all the way to the basket and you better go hard. And maybe you'll be a little bit out of control. And sometimes even he'll cut you off there. You know, you got a jump ball off of Donovan Mitchell on those plays. Mitchell ended up getting his revenge and having a, a pretty nice game overall, though he did most of his damage from three, but he had five turnovers and Davion had four steals. It was really impressive. He finally got it going today against the Warriors on the offensive, and I didn't see exactly how it was he did that. He I think he only had two buckets in his first two games. He has a lot of speed off the dribble in a straight line, but it, it doesn't really have a lot of craft. When once he actually gets into the lane, but he could just hit spot ups. The, and which I think people expect to be able to do, the way he's playing defensively matters. And then it's also rare, I will say, that I buy into this, oh, he's going to change the culture defensively, especially like people talk about that with a rookie. It's like a rookie's going to change the culture. But I will say this, like Terrence Davis, De'Aaron Fox, like those guys are actually getting into people as well. And yeah, you know, they're committing some fouls. You know, Terrence Davis had five fouls in 20 minutes, but they actually were getting into guys, making the Jazz a little bit uncomfortable. I do think that Davian Mitchell, the pressure and the effort that he plays with them on the pre- Remember, at least for now it's been contagious. You know, we'll see what it looks like in game number 57 this year, uh whether it's contagious uh, as well to guys who haven't really been playing that well. But the Kings, they the Kings look good enough and against the Warriors I'd say even too to the extent I saw that game I don't think they're going to be the number 30 defense this year I think they're going to be better well, and I think he's part of that
1: and as of this point you know we're two or three games in depending on the team the, the kings are 21st in defense and you're like, but that's not that's not great chase a it's a ton better than they were before and they have played strong offensive teams like they, you expect yeah. you know when, when they face especially to me that that's going to be the most interesting and we haven't we haven't gotten these kind of opponents yet for Sacramento's much are the heliocentric smaller guard teams like I'm really excited to see it's not going to happen happen for a long time. They don't play them until January, but Kings Hawks, like how does it work when you just put Mitchell on Trey? I mean, they'll probably do a lot with screening. Like that's probably the way you do it. But like those sorts of opponents are going to be absolutely fascinating to watch from this perspective. And yeah, I, I've been interested to see to see where the Kings where they where they go from here. But I would say, yeah, I mean, the early the early signs are pretty positive.
0: Yeah, Harrison Barnes is off to a great start of the year. He's probably been their best offensive player. And then uh, from the Jazz standpoint, uh, Joe Ingles got ejected in this game five minutes in, so we didn't get to see him. And of course, Rudy Gay is out with an injury as well. And so that's made their bench unit work a little bit more poorly than normal. Uh, Although Hassan Whiteside was still uh, end up being plus 18 in this one. But at the start of the fourth, the Kings went on a, a nice little run. And this was actually with Gobert out there. But is that that legendary bench unit from last year with Conley Ingles wasn't available in this one gobert out there and then clarkson and george niang niang of course is in philadelphia now but they had to play trent Forrest some and he can't shoot it at all um and they don't really have like a great stretch four option they had to go with eric Pascal, who was one of two from three but he's not the threat that's only like niang is so i do think that once they get gay back and they get ingles playing well that they should be able to get back to that of just crushing teams at the start of the second and fourth quarter but because they don't have that great stretch four right now now, they're kind of either having to play forest or you know is it mieoni is it jared butler um you know pascal doesn't really fit in that well with his isolation scoring game they're kind of trying to just make him more of a spot-up shooter and that's something that didn't really work for him that well in golden state so they are they're not quite the juggernaut on that second unit ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads they happen.
1: Let's jump to the Dallas Mavericks and one of the one of the games that was most fascinating to me about the we're not all the way technically done with the opening week of the season yet was their crushing at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks, 113 87. I thought that Atlanta looked great in that one, but from Dallas's perspective, you got a couple of the warnings, the Jason Kidd warning signs, Powell and Porzingis playing together the point of attack defense for the Mavericks in that game was horrendous. They were just, you know, Trey and some of the secondary ball handers, Bogdanovich had a nice game, were just getting to where they wanted to, and so the the Hawks were getting fantastic shots, and 15-30 five from three and they got a lot around the basket and you know they the mavericks did get a couple of steals but I, I that was a concern and then the offense didn't work nearly as well but then the good news for the mavericks was that they were able to rebound after a challenging first half against the raptors they were able to to bounce back and they got a they got a win on the road and so now at one and one i don't think you're freaking out nearly as much as it would have been if they were zero and two albeit on t- would have been two losses on the road to capable teams.
0: yeah and there's a, a lot of consternation about the number of long twos that were taken against the hawks uh, deandre hunter looked really good guarding luca we could talk a little bit more about the hawks in, in a second but i thought that the pal porzingis combo did not look very good and they they went away from that in large part against Toronto. now toronto is going to be a unique team to play against it as well they're pretty small um you know and we'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit more about them tomorrow uh because i want to get into scotty barnes a, a little bit uh who's at a really nice start to the year but yeah yeah, for dallas i'm you know there's a lot of consternation they're taking too many mid-rangers and you know the Porzingis off the dribble stuff and like letting him be the unicorn and all that you know i'm not like he looks fine to me you know how does he look to you does he look better than last year just the way he's moving
1: physically i think he looks better uh, i still wonder about his place within it and like there were times especially like the game i watched more closely was the uh was the hawks one where like they wanted him further out on the floor and i mean you can run different defensive approaches approaches. approaches, but like one of my big concerns about Jason Kidd was that on Milwaukee, he didn't really tailor his approach to his personnel. And, like, granted, Porzingis was not the greatest room protector last year, but historically, you know, he's a six foot three dude. He's been one of the league's better contesters. So seven,
0: seven, three, seven,
1: seven three, three, seven, three. And I, so I, I think that, you know, he's moving better than last year, but not better enough. And so I thought there were times that that was a challenge. And it's also playing with less spacing, you know, so we're talking about kind of the, the roster construction and, and configurations. It just gets harder for a lot of things to work. But I thought that, you know, if we're talking just purely physically, I thought he looked, I thought he looked fine.
0: Yeah, I didn't. Uh, really care for their approach defensively against Ugh. the Trey Young pick and rolls. You uh, it, it sound like you might want to elaborate on that. A no,
1: bit. I'll, let, I'll let you take the lead. I already, I already ran, went on a rant on this once already, so I'm. I'm... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so they just they had Porzingis kind of up to the level of the ball, and he's just too slow for that. I mean, it seemed like they're kind of trying to have him have him catch, you know, so not like trap, but just they like, keep him in front and provide a little plat- pressure but Trey's just too good of a passer for that like if you as the big if you let one of those bigs either Capella or Collins whoever's setting in the screen get behind you it's just going to be an immediate alley but like he's just too good of a passer for that so I didn't really care for that approach and KP you know they're able to go around him at that level as well Trey's able to split some screens it wasn't like a dominating Trey scoring performance but to me I think you know it's, again especially if you're playing two bigs to just try to wall off the rim a little bit more it would make more sense to me um i don't know did, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to it on that
1: well what- I mean, and it was also creating a lot of looks on the weak side too. That was how Hunter right. got a couple of shots and yeah. Um, Cause
0: they, they had to bring guys in from the weak side because the right. big was up at the level of the screen.
1: Exactly. And so that was, that was creating looks John Collins. Uh, so, um, well, we can switch a little bit to the Hawks. I, I really like John Collins game overall. I thought that he hit a couple of threes, you know, like he, he, this is, this came has come up a couple of times over the last couple of years, but like Collins defensively, I don't think he ever really got all the center stuff, but he just offensively became a power forward. You know, like he, can space the floor a little bit he can do all these other things but he also had a really nice short roll alley-oop to Clint capella it's just like oh wow like he can he can make this pass it was it was a nice read trey was trey was wonderful as a distributor shot didn't fall all the time and it was also a reminder of what Bojan Bogdanovich can bring to to the team where he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler. This can be the Trey Young show a lot, but Bogdanovich can hit open shots. He can also attack mismatches and kind of give them some stability. And the Hawks against the Mavericks, like they didn't even have the benefit of, of Lou Williams, who was unavailable. And so they were kind of going to some of these weird lineups. And some of those shots were sopped up by Cam Reddish, just shooting basically anytime he had an opportunity. And at times oh, yeah. it looked pretty good. At times you're just like, oh my God, how are you taking this shot? it looked
0: you know he, he looked th- really bouncy to me i thought that yes. that was the uh, you know I, he looked like a little more explosive at the basket than i recalled on, on a couple of transition finishes and, and he got hot later on he took some really bad shots they went they went to an all bench unit at the end of the first which i didn't think was that great uh gallo also was out in, in this one so that makes it even less tenable to to go for that um you know and, and so no, no Collins or Capella, you know, Gorji Jang is the center because a, a Kong was out for a while still with this shoulder issue. So I didn't really care that much. You know, I, I thought they do better when they stagger Bogdanovich in there as well, but you know, they, they gave Kim Reddish a little bit of runway. Um, I thought uh, DeAndre Hunter was very good on Luka because yes. they weren't really switching him off as well. There's one play where, which got some traction where he, Luka tried to snake around the pick and roll and then work into a step back and Hunter came through and blocked his step back, which almost never happens. Um, I could do without the DeAndre Hunter long twos. I mean, it looks smooth, but is it really, is it really necessary for him to like pump fake and step into a contested long two off the dribble? I just, I, it doesn't seem likely that he's ever going to be good enough to take that shot like i, I realized and have it be a good idea i really they want him to explore the studio space and he is kind of this big wing archetype but uh you know there's another couple of times that he tried to take luca one-on-one and luca just stoned him luca actually moves his feet pretty well defensively you know if he's trying to guard Kawhi, it's not going to go that well but against someone like hunter if that sort of guy tries him usually he usually uh, is able to cut him off um but yeah i mean hunter is playing well enough and hopefully he can stay healthy this year but we'll talk about new orleans in a second the value of that trade we really hated it uh with the hawks moving up to number four for deandre hunter but looking at what came after him in that 2019 draft at this point and
1: we'll combine that with the value of wings too like if he can stick yeah. as a starter and potentially like a higher end starter Like, yeah
0: yeah i mean the Pells drafting jackson hayes number eight as part of that deal doesn't doesn't help much but Nikhil alexander walker has, has looked solid so far this well, and, year. And,
1: and the hawks had you know they're not the bounce back i don't know what the reverse of that would be after they the the ripple of beating the mavericks on in their opener and their home opener and then they lose to the Cavs. i didn't get to watch much of that game they lost the Cavs on saturday but they have time to get right because the hawks next two games are against detroit and the zionless pelicans so as long as they can handle business there i don't think they'll think they'll dwell too much on the caps
0: one more note on dallas uh, moxie Kleba it really seemed unfortunately his athletic decline from where he was two and three years ago and, and even the bubble seems to have not abated shall we say and he's he's not getting a ton of time but guys are going past him. like he used to be a really good individual defender he could also even get to the basket and finish some and his three-pointer has gotten better but it seems like every other aspect of his game has gotten worse and so it'll be interesting to see whether he's able to earn much more than just a kind of you know 15 minute a game ventral but they really need him to me I mean to like I think him you know the good version of him who also protected the rim, and could finish inside uh and also shoot was such a nice partner for Porzingis on on both ends and when you either got to go Finney Smith at the four then you're probably not gonna have enough defense on the wing you know Reggie Bullock has kind of been playing off the bench so far for you know 15-20 minutes and he's not starting or anything like that and Tim Hardaway Jr. isn't a plus defender and you know a healthy effective Kleba to me was one of their best tickets for being really good defensively you hoped last year with him and Porzingis protecting the rim and then they got Josh Richardson that they could maybe work into being a pretty good defense that didn't end up happening and so uh, that would really be a shame Uh, Kluge at least got paid and he's still a solid player but I don't know if he's going to be someone who I'm going to be talking about as one of the most underrated players in the NBA anymore the way he looks physically right now
1: One other straight Mavericks note not rigidly related to their play on the floor Um, if you have not yet listened to it I thought that Bob Laguerre's interview with Pablo Torre which was ESPN Daily on Thursday because it coincided with the Mavs opener, was a really interesting. And eye opening might be a little bit strong for those of us who follow the business really closely, but it was his perspective and kind of everything going back to that explosive athletic piece from earlier in the year and his perspective on it. And for me it was, you know, some of it was the, you know, clearing of the air of all that type of stuff, but also getting a sense of at least what it was like to be in the Mavericks front office, whether that was representative of other front offices is, you know, something that he can't speak to and something that, you know, neither, neither of us can either. But I would say if, if you're if you're into us enough to wanted to like learn the mechanics of it I I thought that it was a very worthwhile listen
0: yeah, I agree. I finished that as well on my way to the Warriors game. It was interesting, to say the least. Let's uh, transition now to the Hawks partners in that 2019 draft day trade, the New Orleans Pelicans, and it's looking like oh, it's going to be a pretty desultory year for these guys.
1: Yeah, I, I wondered, you know, like when we got this, like we were kind of thinking about the Zion timeline, and and was just like, you know, he heard that, kind of at the back of my mind, I'm like, are they even going to be in it when he gets back? back and it wasn't like I had looked at their schedule and um their schedule actually isn't super daunting. I mean they you know they have some they have road games again you know road game against Minnesota, which they lost. They have another one on, on Monday. And I think one one way to summarize it is that I was I was not watching that game against Minnesota, um, and I'm I, you know I follow people who cover every team, and I'm reading John Krasinski's tweets talking about talking about the Wolves and how you know like um, D'Angelo Russell is having a rough game and all these other things. they are like, oh, doing all this, the like I, I, all the challenges that they have and they're, they're not having trouble scoring, and they still won, which is like that's the like in some ways the ultimate slap in the face or indicator that your team is not somebody that people respect is that like the wolves are a playoff hopeful not even like a top five team and that like a lot of guys play poorly and they still win and some of that could be defense but it's you know like the the idea that you can play badly and lose and, and win sorry play badly and win
0: yeah so this I watched the Pell's game against the Bulls and most of the action took place before halftime where the Bulls uh, took a 18 point lead into the half and basically it didn't get into garbage time until the very end but it was not a particularly close game throughout you know Pels weren't any closer at the end of the third quarter. obviously Zion is still out. Brandon Ingram I thought had a nice stretch. In the second, but and did have eight assists, so it was a better distribution game from him. Most of what he was doing in the second was working on off ball screens and doing that against Patrick Williams, who we'll talk a little bit more about it in the Bulls section. The three and oh Chicago Bulls. Um, the Pels are also starting Herb Jones right now, I guess, at the four in Zion's place with Devontae Graham at point guard, Nikhil Alexander Walker at shooting guard, and Valentinus at center. Valentinus did bounce back from his. Horrific three of 19 in the opener to have eight for 11 in this game. It was actually plus three with with 18 points. It really just got bad when they went to the bench. uh Bulls bench was pretty good. Again, I'll talk a little bit more about why they've been effective so far. But yeah, I mean, this is a discouraging loss for the pals when they shot 15 out of 29 from three. And their starters were fine, actually. It was really just the, the bench unit that was a major problem. They still kind of don't really know what they're doing on the backup guard line where Kyra Lewis played some mostly in the second half. Sadoransky only played seven minutes and he didn't play at all against Minnesota. The following night, Garrett Temple was negative 23 in 10 minutes. I don't think it was his fault. He still actually looks like he's got it some defensively. I think he can still help the team. Uh, Herb Jones was plus 17, but they also both in this game and in the Minnesota game are just not guarding him at all, which is a a problem, Um, but you know when it's Zion he'll, he'll probably need to be guarded, but this team just, they don't really, they don't have anything to hang their hat on, on either end, like you just look at this team without Zion and it's like, you know, other than Valanchunas banging some heads inside and Ingram coming off some screens off the ball, there's just, there's nothing about this team that you're really like that concerned about schematically, and they don't really appear to have any major strengths on either end right now.
1: And something that has made life a little bit harder on Willie Green and the Pels is that beyond Zion being out, Josh Hart has missed, has missed their first two games with right quad tendinosis. He is currently described yeah. as questionable for their game Monday. Well, well, and,
0: yeah, he's missed their last two games, right? You want? He, went, he yes. played like ten minutes. Oh, yeah,
1: he played like ten minutes against the Sixers. Sorry, that's right. Yeah, and um, and so what? Have to keep an eye on, on that, and you know that that pushes more strain on
0: on all the rotation.
1: Uh, but let's get to those three and zero world beating Chicago. Well,
0: Bulls. here can we? This, can we just say give uh the schedule here for new Orleans it's not sure like, awful no but they play the second half they're back-to-back in Minnesota tomorrow night Monday night uh then they have a game on ESPN against Atlanta uh oh boy uh, too bad uh too, too bad Zion's not gonna be playing in that one and then that's at home And then they're home against Sacramento home against New York and then they go on a four game west trip through November 8th and so I mean maybe they can get a couple of these at home you know against Atlanta or a Sacramento or a New York like those aren't unbeatable teams, or at Minnesota. I mean, like, but if I had to guess. I think they're looking at 2-9 and nine or something by the end of that road trip on November 8th.
1: Yeah, especially because Phoenix-Sacramento is a road back-to-back. That'll be harder, you know, and you have the with the weaker team as the second one can sometimes lead to some challenges. Um, and, I mean, this, yeah, it could get out of hand pretty quickly for them. And it's not like after that, the schedule gets dramatically easier. They have a, a short East Coast trip and they have some, you know, they face the Nets and a couple other capable opponents. So it's it's going to be tough sled for the Pelicans, and especially when some of these other kind of like young feisty teams have looked good to start the year, whether they've gotten a lot of wins or not. Um, It's you know it's going to take i think it's going to take a fair amount to get into the to get into the play in in the west and the you know the disaster potential was high for them to begin with like i'm not even sold on the full strength pelicans but the significantly less than full strength pelicans have been cannon fodder so far
0: yeah your hope was that they could maybe be a 500 team when zion is in the lineup but uh we'll see i mean they they have some decent players like they're at least not just throwing out guys who are terrible uh as much as they were at times last year um but let's get to the bulls now three and know they won two on over the pistons and this game against the zionless pals going back to preseason even they still they didn't even play anybody in preseason either it was still uh some really bad news like the Cavs twice in new orleans i can't remember who else it was um but hey they i think they've looked fine the offense has been interesting um I'm not going to go crazy on them yet. not only because of who they've played, but they've also gotten pretty lucky in terms of opponent three-point percentage, even after that New Orleans game, that the two games they played against Detroit, Detroit was like 20% from three, both of those games, really, really bad. Uh, the Bulls themselves have also shot 41% from three, but their location E, e field goal percentage is 11th on offense, which is solid. Uh, and then 22nd uh on defense so far. But there really hasn't been a team that has been able to really put stress on the way that they want to defend. And there's a couple of things that I've noted. One is that whoever DeRozan is guarding, they're not switching with him because they don't want to get into a bad matchup. And so that could be interesting, but they're trying to hide him, obviously, on the worst offensive player for the other team on the perimeter. Lonzo Ball has looked really good. He had 17 and 10 against his old team. He's shooting on the move now from three was three of eight from downtown uh, and it actually was a triple double for Lonzo Ball I, sh- I should say so just so everyone knows that he had a good game Vooch has kind of struggled he's got a four of 11 and a seven of 21 under his belt so far uh, Zach Levine had two awesome games one against the Pels and that game against Detroit in the opener where he was 11 to 17 from the field then he came back to earth a little bit in the Detroit game that was a total blowout last night on Saturday but the rotations I think for these guys are really interesting I can talk about that unless you, you had any no, you want to I'll, on I'll, the I'll let
1: you. I'll let you go there.
0: That's fine. Um, so off the bench is very interesting. They are playing Alize Johnson, Troy Braun Jr., and Javante Green. No Tony Bradley. No Derek Jones Jr. We thought that those would be their backup four and five, and those guys only played in garbage time against the Pels Tony Bradley was injured a lot of camp, but so they're going with Alize Johnson, or, or also even sometimes they'll go with Patrick Williams as the backup five as well. Johnson, you'll remember him for his time with the Pacers, and he also spent some time with Brooklyn, but seeing him in summer league, he's about 6'6", but just an incredible rebounder for his side. He actually said, uh warned Bulls fans' hearts by saying he was watching Dennis Rodman tape in camp. And so he's been solid as a backup center, and Javante Green has really been a res- revelation, I should say, with his athleticism. He he could be a decent fit at times with Vucevic when he's out there with Vuce as well. He's dunking everything around the rim and so they go to this second group that's got Troy Braun Jr. who who is pretty athletic and hustles Alex Caruso be out there with those guys a lot they do stagger DeRozan and Levine but like we thought, maybe this bench defense is going to look pretty good. Now, whether they can score will be interesting to see. Uh, you know, the the lineup was Caruso, DeRozan, Troy Brown Jr., Javante Green, and Alize Johnson at the end of the first. For example, but they did pretty well. They're also getting out in transition really well against the Pelicans. the The, the New Orleans Pelicans will just never have a good transition defense. Like, oh, like in their Jesus. history, they just it doesn't matter who the coach is or what the personnel is. They'll just never stop anybody in transition. Uh, the Bulls had 18 points off it turnovers in the first half and uh, they had nine steals in this game a lot of those came in the first uh, as well so they've been pretty active Uh, Patrick Williams though I was not as impressed by him Um, I just thought he's did not show the quick feet that you wanted to see trying to guard Ingram coming off those screens in the second quarter very well and it's a tall task for him
1: to me Williams when I've watched him defensively he looks more like a four than a three to me and you can use that but it's hard pairing Patrick Williams with DeRozan because what you want williams to do is be your lead defender on the most dangerous guy
0: well oh, yeah so williams they're not going to switch with DeRozan, they're not going to switch with vooch so he's got to get through screens and he's just not quite as good at, at that uh now again bulls had some nice blowout wins they're being the teams they should beat uh, they should can, I, can I give that. you
1: their can i give you their schedule oh please okay so this is going to be like the next 10 11 games or so toronto knicks jazz then boston philly philly and then things get fun nets Mavs, and then they go on their West Coast road trip. Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Blazers, Duggets so not many bad teams in that bunch yeah,
0: yeah. we'll have we'll have a pretty good idea uh, on these guys i think
1: and uh, and i'm open to the idea that they're going November. to be better than we thought it's just that we don't we i don't think we have the information on that yet because they handled three yeah. limited teams
0: yeah uh but and their defense has been relatively good overall i'm still i'm not necessarily buying it or we could get into a situation with that second unit where they're really offensively limited as well but none of the teams they've played in either preseason or regular season so far have had the ability to exploit that yet but hey i mean just being 3 and 0 for the bulls you got to be happy about that where do you want to go next sir
1: well we don't have too many teams left in the west um let's let's talk about that nuggets spurs game on friday yeah actually those are the last two western conference teams
0: yeah, we'll stick with the obvious here, and that is that Nikola Jokic continues to just look awesome. He looks even faster, even quicker. Just really happy with how, how he looks. He even was making some pretty good plays at the rim against the Spurs, blocking a few shots as well, which uh, that's obviously a, a big aspect of this. The Spurs have only played two games as of now, but they can't hit a three-pointer to save their lives. That's a, a big problem for them. I think it's going to continue to be a big problem for them uh, as well. They they had a nice win, uh, obviously, to start the things off against the magic but then struggled in this one against denver
1: one i think another if we're starting with the nuggets a continuation of denver's win over the phoenix suns is that will barton continues to play an important part in kind of keeping not only as a fit within the starters but keeping the second unit afloat he ended up with six assists in the Spurs game and considering the limitations and you especially I mean you have Monte Morris starting so you have more limited guys Campazzo and Rivers having another guy who opponents have to put somebody on defensively and who can create looks for other people has made a significant difference for me on that second
0: unit yeah I think so uh now Malone did go with the all bench unit he did At times, uh, you know, this ended up being a 102-96 Nuggets win over the Spurs. And the all-bench unit, and by the way, I'll give you Jokic's stats here too. 32 points, 14-19 and from the field. 7 assists, 6 turnovers, had 3 steals and a block oh and
1: 16 rebounds
0: yeah yeah five (laughs) offensive boards uh, as well and worth noting here that Jakub Pertl did have four fouls but was plus 15 and this Nuggets bench unit it seems like that's going to be a little bit of a struggle session they because they went Malone went with an all bench unit that got the Spurs back into it and then they brought Jokic back in and he kind of took took care of things in the end uh, along with Barton but Jamichael and Jeff Green Compasso Rivers and PJ Dozier as a a five-man bench unit I mean that that just that just has no chance like no, you got it mean, that
1: you need to have yeah. Barton in that lineup which they did against the Suns and it worked well and then when they went away from that it, it you know, and I think Malone like the regular season is for experimentation you can try it out but the there isn't much of a theory I mean because you need you need guys that can create advantages and those are all capable basketball players but you need certain elements there are more guys that are play finishers than play creators and so especially I mean I've been a believer in San Antonio's defense for a while now even their backups like they can handle they can handle limited cap- limited creators
0: yeah so whether it's Spartan but I mean your hope was hey Michael Porter Jr maybe he can spread his wings a little bit two straight stinkers really seven points three of ten only played 27 minutes had four fouls and I thought it was pretty telling that in the fourth quarter he was being guarded by Doug McDermott and tried Doug McDermott one-on-one a couple of times and couldn't get past him and get a good shot that was uh that was a little bit concerning to me uh, and so there is uh, I talked about this with Morris of like how Michael Porter Jr. is going to take the next step and boost that usage rate up maybe even at the expense of that great efficiency that he had last year but it doesn't seem like Mike Malone is really trying to feature him or Michael Malone as he likes to be called now is really trying to feature him that much like there are games where Monte Morris and Will Barton are taking more shots than him Aaron Gordon at another you know relatively non-shooting focused game with only six field goal attempts and obviously when while Murray comes back as well. He's going to be taking shots. But, you know, it doesn't seem like they are highlighting Michael Porter Jr. as a second option, whether it's him not being aggressive enough, not having enough plays called for him, or not having the skill set to create more shots, other than just shooting the ball coming off some screens or getting some quick post-ups or whatever. But I mean, not being able to beat Doug McDermott off the dribble was uh that, that was a little concerning to me. You know, I, I think he is not off to a great start so far this year.
1: And San Antonio, I mean, in the in the overall sense, being one and well, now they're one and two, but their two losses are to Denver and and Milwaukee, like those are both justifiable. I'm I'm still trying to figure out kind of how I how I feel about them. The, the I mean the Magic will look like they're extremely extremely limited, and the three point shooting, as you brought up, is, is a real concern. And in the Nuggets game, Devin Facel came back to earth a little bit. He had that big performance night. He was the leading scorer actually in the game against Orlando, but then he had a relatively quiet game against the Nuggets, and then only had four points in 19 minutes against the Bucks. So we'll have to keep an eye. I, I, I like Facel. I think that he can bring something to this team But they're going to need They're going to need more shooting performances And we brought up the the, the the limitations Of the other guys This is a crazy stat from their game against the Bucs Doug McDermott was seven of eleven from three. The rest of the team was three of twenty-eight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why they're shooting like 26% from three as a team. And Derek White's been getting him up there. I think he'll he'll start hitting at least some, you know, but is it going to be 39% or 33% for him? Is an interesting question. Keldon Johnson doesn't really want to shoot threes right now. He was 12 of 18 against the Nuggets, and he was actually four of five from mid-range, interestingly. Uh, and you know, had a number of headlong rushes towards the back at basket as as he will he's getting a little bit better of a floater game with six of eight actually from floater range in that one anything else we got to hit with the spurs here as we're kind of doing finishing up this little survey
1: no i think that's about i think that's about all i have for them
0: let, let me They're, see if i got anything in my notes real quick um
1: i mean my curiosity of Yaka Pertl. so with the assists it was a weird thing that he or surprising to me that he had a bunch in the magic game he didn't he had very little against the Nuggets, but he did have six against the bucks i want to keep I, that's something i want to watch more as i keep an eye on the spurs over the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, another interesting thing I mentioned that five-man bench group. The Spurs went with and they've been doing this for years. They kind of pioneered this and I think, you know, the Jazz are sort of doing this now as well. But the Spurs will actually would put a bunch of their stars in. They went with straight up their entire starting unit at the start of the fourth quarter to get back into it against the all bench unit of Denver and that that kind of worked to get them back into contact eventually. Yeah, I think that's good though. We're I feel like we're kind of catching people up uh, on all of our observations here. We don't not getting quite into as much depth as we would for a normal gamer those more of those will come this week obviously but yeah we'll talk tomorrow about the news and a a few of the teams in the east that we haven't had a chance to really hit on in, in any detail like washington toronto Orlando, Miami, Detroit. Yeah, I think that's everywhere. Those are the ones that we still need to hit tomorrow. But we got some news for tomorrow as well. And maybe we'll do a little more Watfo catch up too.
1: Yeah, and I will mention, uh, I haven't picked a date yet, but for uh, Dunked On Prime subscribers, I plan on doing a Discord chat in the next few days. I haven't, when you, you can check my Twitter for the date and time of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll probably put that in our our mailer too. And also don't forget, we got the NBA cast tomorrow. Good one. Charlotte and Boston, seven eastern for pacific that it's free and for those of you on the free feed you and you can get that for free on league pass so you go just go on nba.com it's on nba league pass digital you just click on the watch link for that and you'll see nate duncan and danny the underneath there so we'll actually be calling the game um what were you gonna say
1: no no i was gonna say we'll be on mondays for the rest of the year we did do that wednesday because league pass opening night is one of our favorites but monday you could expect for us to be there every monday
0: yeah we also got the live mailbag pod as well that's at 6 eastern 3 pacific on tuesdays we're doing that now on twitter spaces so super easy to find that you already have the app you don't even have to download anything all right we will talk to y'all tomorrow till then